it's another episode of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, the gaming prophet Cade, call he who hath been anointed by the gaming gods themselves, even Miyamoto, the father of Kojimi, the son, and Kamak, the Holy Ghost, told me in prophetic vision I needed to make the one true video game podcast, and to do so, all I had to simply do was invite creative and interesting people on the podcast and talk to them about their favorite gaming memories growing up, and today is no motherfucking exception, I'm a good little boy. I follow the Lord so I may get the blessings. Go to heaven and not to burn in the sick, scared, scary hell. That was, I don't know what kind of accent that is, but I've been listening to this UFO podcast by a Scottish fella. And uh, it's like seeping into my brain and kind of just coming out in a terrible knockoff American bullshit, arguably racist form. And, you know, just the way it is. But I'm a prophet, so you guys can't criticize me. So shut the fuck up. I'm just kidding. I love you guys a little bit. I love myself more. Come on. That's the truth. Why can't we just be honest? Everyone's like, I love you. You're the best. Yeah, we love other people, but we love ourselves the most. What do you spend all day thinking about? Other people's problems or your own goddamn problems? Come on. Where are you putting your focus? That's what you love. You ain't thinking about everybody else's problems most of the time. There's probably some people out there that literally... Focus on other people all day long, like Mother Teresa, and I'm an asshole, whatever. I'm basically just stalling because I'm trying to remember the name of our creative and interesting guest. And I can't remember his actual name, but I do remember his artist name. He's going to just just laugh at my pathetic attempt to do a scream. Our first, second, third, whatever guest... 52 episode second guest because this is part two of the Mensis Ritual the heavy metal band from the UK with video game influences we have the one the only dark demon of despair who shatters the world with merely the power of his vocal cords Wormlord uh, sorry I can't remember your actual name I Wormlord's cooler anyway so let's just go with Wormlord he is the vocalist the heavy metal band Mentis Ritual our previous episode was with Andrew the guitarist and today we're going to be talking to Wormlord the episode was really good we had a grand old time took us a set took us a little bit to get the the mojo flowing then we had a fantastic time he like Andrew, pulls creative influence from lots of video game sources. His games that we talk about mainly are RPGs. Way into, I believe, if memory serves, this podcast was recorded quite a while ago when I still had my beautiful, <laughs> luscious locks of hair. If you are someone who has grown their hair out and people are pressuring, pressuring you to cut your hair, fuck them. Fuck them all. Don't do it. Uh-oh, my daughter just came in. We're going to have to edit this. Freaking little kids, spoiled shits, always wanting new toys. Well, I did chores and I saved up $20 and did exactly what you said and now I want to go get a toy. God damn it. Lingerer. Whew, what was I saying? Don't cut your hair. Don't do it. When has peer pressure ever been a good thing? <laughs> Maybe I just answered my own question. Maybe if you're like standing at the edge of a building or a bridge. People are peer pressuring you to not jump. Okay, so there's a few occasions where peer pressure might be good. But... Other than those extreme cases, the outliers, I can't think of a time when people were pressuring me to do something that I didn't really want to do, and then I did it anyway, and it turned out to be good. Don't do it. Like, I should have just let my wife divorce me. Like, who the fuck cares about the family union? My hair. (sighs) I miss it. But anyway, there is a time difference in the recording of this episode of me doing this intro, and you'll notice right now, I look like it's just your quintessential 
dude, my soul has been taken from me. I, just, I don't. I don't. I, the intro quality and the podcast quality has dropped because I feel like the hair was amplifying who I was truly inside. I don't have that amplifier anymore. I can't turn it up to eleven anymore. It just doesn't work. I'm all like tame and shit. Anyway, we talk about RPGs. Well, I'm just fucking bummed myself out, which means I bummed you guys out. You feel that? Do you, do you feel that? I feel the vibe drop. I'm bummed out. I wish I really would have just stuck to my guns. Maintained my character, had a backbone. If I would have been listening to more heavy metal like the Mensis Ritual, maybe I would have put my foot in the sand, threw my staff down like Gandalf and say, You shall not pass! That's what I imagine doing in jiu-jitsu when people are trying to pass my guard. I'm fucking Gandalf. Assholes. Anyway... Wormlord is badass. He likes really deep, legitimate RPGs, I would say, which I'm a big RPG nut. So we get off on that. We talk a lot about vocals. I picked his brain on how one actually makes the vocal cords sound distorted and turn yourself into a living, breathing demon. It's a skill I wish I had. Maybe my kids would listen to me, just freaking bust out the Mensis ritual voice on them. It'd be like the voice, if you've ever read The Preacher, the preacher gets the power of God's voice, and his superpower is he can use what's called the voice, and people have to do what he says. I kind of always imagined that the voice, even though the comic book describes it different, I would replace the comic book's description. There's there's also an AMC TV show that does it like 50% justice. You could check that out. But I always envisioned that voice to being like the low, guttural style style of metal singing maybe not mid or high but like the really low because there's guys out there that can enunciate in a way that you still understand the words but their voice sounds completely unnatural i suspected that there was more than just your standard eq and compression going on with heavy metal vocals i thought sort of one of the industry secrets would have been people using subtle distortions and other effects to make the voice sound that badass that weren't and it wasn't actually humanly possible to make your voice sound like in a natural fashion. I was wrong. I was just flat out wrong. I mean, there's the regular stuff, compression, EQ. You have to do in a mixing phase to make a song sound balanced and good on any set of speakers that it's played on. But other than that, there's not a whole lot going on, at least in the case of the Mensis Ritual. So Wormlord is a super talented metal screamer, from what I understand. I'm not w- way deep into the talent pool. But he seems legit to me. And he's a hardcore gamer. And their first album was all about Dark Souls. Well, heavily inspired by Dark Souls. And we talk about that. We talk about his lyrics, how he pulls the inspiration. I won't spoil it if he's doing like direct lore stuff or more thematic stuff. And then their band name, for those who are Bloodborne educated, Mensis Ritual is uh, part of the Bloodborne lore. And then their next album, which we talk about extensively, is going to be called Canaanite or Canaanite. I don't remember the exact way to pronounce it. I wonder if, I think he pronounced it Canaanite and maybe the UK pronounces it different because when I grew up learning about Canaanites in religious settings in church, we pronounced it Canaanite, but I'm pretty sure he called it Canaanite. Either way, it's one of those two. You'll find it. It's coming out most likely this year. Single coming soon. Pretty close to the time of this podcast going live. The single should be coming out. If it is out, I will put that pod, the link to that in the podcast description. Of course, all the other applicable links will be in the description as well. Make sure to check out Mensis Ritual. New album coming out all about Grendel. We talk about that. The Beowulf poem. And video games, video games, video games galore. RPGs, RPGs. Dude is legit gamer. 
100% legit gamer. He hath been officially endorsed by the gaming gods themselves, featured on the One True Gaming Podcast, the Gaming Memories Podcast. Make sure to like, share, spread the good news of the gaming gospel. Ye shall be blessed. I say these things in the name of Miyamoto, the Father, Kojimi, the Son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost. Amen, and enjoy the show. Ritual. We already interviewed Andrew. After I'm so glad I could remember that name. Fifth try. So sorry, Andrew. I'm too high. I interviewed too many people. I just think <laughs> in my mind, in my mind, actually, I think of him as you Mensis Ritual, the name that stuck yeah. with me. But I think yeah. of the Riff Man because he just puts out these riffs all the time, and they're all good. He's like he's a, a fucking, riff machine. He's an animal. An animal. He's an animal. Like yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about this guy, right? Because me and Andrew have known each other for a long time. We became friends at college. I'm not sure what the equivalent thing is. In the, by college, I don't mean university. Um, the bit before university, like 16 to 18, that's when we became friends. Oh, uh, okay. And um, that's high school for us. Okay, so yeah, so that's when we met. I had been playing guitar for less than a year when I met him, and he was already even at that age, like 16. He was like so far ahead of everybody else in terms yeah. of like, you know, the fucking, the kids that played metal, you know, this guy was just on a, on a completely different plane. And yeah, no, he's very, very good guitarist. I connected with him, not to say that I'm, I am that good, equivalent good. He's better than me at guitar than I am at the drums, but we connected on a little bit of like a sad bro level because I went for drumming. I played in a bunch of bands, produced my own music, did a record yeah. label, did all that shit all the way until about 30. And I threw in the towel and I was like, I got to like make some money. Like this is not working and I'm making a little bit yeah. of money. I'm paying my bills. But I remember one day after playing like a short tour with a guy that I felt was kind of where I was trying to get to. And I got to open for him and I was starting to make the move up, but I really got to see some of the other dudes that had in my mind had made it. And I kind of got to, got to see where they're at. And I realized like, even where they're at, they're not that safe. The lifespan of a musician, especially in the electronic world, is very short or can be short. And thinking like, God damn, dude. And I, I made like, between all the producing, the recording, my costs, uh, the time, I made like five bucks an hour over the last like six months or whatever it is, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, so I had a, a quite a different trajectory, right? I, I went to university. I got my degree. I was like playing guitar the whole time, maybe like halfway through university, I started like dipping my toes in with vocals, but I wasn't in bands or touring or anything. Yeah, I just kind okay. of, I got my degree, I joined, joined the workforce. And then about age 23, I, I just, I started to write, started to write music and started to like get to a place where my skills were like clicking into place. And since then, the goal really has just been to make the music that I want to make. So I never tried to walk that agonizing path, you know, of trying to do it as my primary thing or like, yes. you know, the, the perennial problem of making music, money as a musician. Like from the outset, I thought, well, I'm an underground musician. I, what I'm making is super niche. This is never going to be like a meaningful revenue stream for me. So I'm not even going to entertain that. I'm going to find something else to do that that's okay for me that I can bear. 
and that allows me to have time to, to still do music projects. thousand percent. Yeah, that's what you have to do, really. Yeah, that's ultimately the conclusion I came to. And we bonded a little bit over like a feeling like a failed musician and all that. And he was starting a new job <laughs> at an insurance place. And I was just like, dude, don't sweat it. Because I threw in the towel. And I, but I had the specific goal of like, I'm going to get financially free and then I'll come back to music and it won't matter. It won't matter. Like, it just won't matter. And then it took me about seven years and then that happened. And I'm working on an album with my brother and we have a whole new project and I'm having a blast. And it doesn't matter. It's awesome, man. And yeah, it's well also done. very niche. It's dark niche. It's like dark electronic. Um, okay. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who Lorne is by chance or Snakes of Russia or any of no, that? No, I'm not really familiar with that, uh, with that genre. Although um, one of the other bands I'm in, uh, one of my bandmates there, he makes dark electronic music as well. Okay. So. I, I, uh, the best way to describe it is either the term Blade Runner beats, so like cinematic, sci-fi, yeah, but like slow. Cool. Yeah. Snakes of Russia uses the term death beats I like a lot. But that, in death my beats. mind, that in my mind infers more of like a death metal or thrash metal, which is that's not what it is. Um, so it, that term is not always landed for me, although he's made it work. He's a great brand. And then uh, I've heard some people call it like just cinematic beats. It's more like it's like a movie soundtrack with with a beat on it, like yeah, a dark, yeah. um, like very ambient. It's never it's heavy. I think you I get, might like I get it. what you're I get yeah. what you're talking about, and I probably yeah. would like it. A lot yeah, of metalheads, yeah, yeah. like Snakes of Russia, a lot of the guys that are big in the scene are previous metal drummers or guitarists. That doesn't surprise me at all. And then they kind of turn to this like dark, droney, ambient sort of chilled out version of metal, like slower, like more drone metal. And uh, but like electronic, I don't know. You yeah, might, I get. You might like. Yeah, it. I get that kind of stuff. It's like it's coming from a similar place, isn't it? It's a cousin. Yeah, I think it's a yeah, cousin. Yeah. But I wanted to say the reason I found you guys. Uh, we talked a lot about TikTok and how awesome TikTok <laughs> is for a new like how to, how to get a niche artist like this podcast yeah. and my personality and the way I do the podcast. Even my clips are like retro indie games. It's a very niche part of video games. Yeah, And then I'm always talking about aliens and death metal and rock and roll. And it's like, not very many people, it's like a mix. But TikTok can find people that like it better than any other platform. And we were talking about, he came across my page as like, just like a riff, like Rate My Riff, one of his videos. And I loved like Prague and a lot of metal licks. And I'm like, God damn, this guy has good riffs. And then I saw the Mensis Ritual was the name. And immediately, I was like, what do I know that term? Like, oh my God, that's a Bloodborne. And we started talking. <laughs> and then he says, dude, we just released an album and it's all about fucking Dark Souls. And yeah, man. I like it looked is. at this. I looked at him. Dude, the Chinese are, must be spying on everything about my life. Because like, how did they know I would want like a Bloodborne Dark Souls metal album? That's so, so niche. But TikTok, <sighs> TikTok found it for me. And I, yeah. put, your, I put your guys' shit on, drove to jujitsu. And I sat in the car and was like late because I finished the whole album. I was like, I'm just going to sit and finish it. And uh, I think it was track four. I brought it up. I told him a specific timestamp. And he said, yeah, that's the heaviest part of the album. And I remember I was getting on the on-ramp on the freeway. I literally said it was, I was, I sat back and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is heavy. (laughs) Like I was in awe. Damn, dude. So you guys, you you guys, you guys go hard. Hard in the paint. Yeah, man. And like, um, the, the, the new material was crazy, dude. The new material was really crazy. Like, uh, as I was saying to you before we started recording, new single coming very, very soon. Literally yesterday, 
finished tracking all the vocals. We've got some guest vocals on there as well from um, another band I'm in, a black metal band called Archierophant. Uh, the vocalist from Archierophant came with me and he, he's got like a section of the song and he's done some layers. And that's the first time I've had an opportunity to like layer my voice up with another vocalist. It's been really, really fun. Nice. And it's just like, I think Andrew's really, with the new material, Andrew's really found his like groove, like really honed in on like a distinctive Mentis Ritual sound. It's substantively different, to be fair, from the first EP. Well, yeah, that's why I think it's why it stuck out, even the Rate My Riff videos. Because I will say, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, this speaks to how cool you guys are. And this is my pitch for listeners. Maybe you should check it out, even if you're not traditionally in this music, because it's, I was feeling like a lot of heavy and because of the whole gent revolution and all that stuff mixing in like everything was starting to still feel pretty washed and really similar everyone's using the same like archetype nolly presets and the same drum triggers and it was just a very similar riffs like very like i don't mind derivative work because all music is derivative but like the smaller to some smaller extent, yeah smaller and ink the derivatives were like smaller and smaller increments and mm. it started feeling washed apart from there's some acts i really like loathe i don't know if you've familiar with loathe they're uh, they uh mix, yeah i'm familiar with loathe yeah that's a they, uk they, band they mix like even pop in and they somehow make it work um which i find a lot of people don't like but in my mind it's like at least they're trying to evolve things in interesting ways whether everything lands or not is i give them credit for that i do like them a lot there's a band persephone are you familiar with persephone by chance no i'm not no. you might like them not as heavy as you guys a little more proggy, but still pretty fucking heavy. And they have 80% screams, and they do have like some actual singing in it as well at points. Okay. Not as much. Um, lots of weird time signatures in like, uh, like Tool, if they were more pro, like more metal. Right. Prog. Right. Um, anyway, the point is, you guys stand out. Like, I, I don't even know how to classify it. I, I'd be interesting to how you, when you say you're different, um, I agree, you're different. Try to describe to people what is how you feel the sound is different than all the other acts out I there. I think the way I would describe Men's Ritual sound in terms of like a genre pigeonhole, I would say like what I personally call modern modern death metal. So like you have the deathcore scene now, which is like very, very prevalent and very influential. And I like, I like deathcore a lot personally. And then you still have bands that are making death metal with like a distinctively like old school sound. And I, I like that stuff as well, you know. There's also bands that kind of like it's like it's it's deathcore, but it's not quite got all the motifs of deathcore. It's I'm trying to think of some other examples. There's a UK band, a quite small UK band called Abhorrent Decimation. I would say they fit quite nicely into that category. Did you say Bone and Decimation? Abhorrent Decimation. I like uh, that. I don't I like think that. they're active anymore, but their last album, The Pardoner. I, I fucking loved it. Like, was was a great album for me. Or, like, bands like Fit for an Autopsy as well kind of walk that line. Like, they kind of, they're lumped in with Deathcore, but actually, if you listen to Fit for an Autopsy, there's a lot of elements there that are not not really stock Deathcore elements. Like, for example, their vocalist, he stays a lot in, like, the mid-range. He does dip into the low and occasionally into the high, but he stays a lot in the mid-range, which would be more of, like, a, I guess, more of, like, a metalcore approach. But he still sounds like he belongs in a death metal record. So yeah, that's where I'd that's where I'd put Mensis Ritual. I mean, the new uh, this is a cliche thing to say, right? But the new material is heavier. The new single is 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 really really heavy, and the vocals are quite are quite different. Like 
they're a lot more dynamic than the vocals in the first EP. There's a lot more going on. I've tried a few things out and uh, just like learned a lot, I guess, from the from the process and got yeah. a lot better in the intervening years, I guess. I'm fascinated one by how the vocals and all these all this type of music music are even done. It seems impossible. Or I also want to talk to you about the fact that the album's all about Dark Souls and Dark Souls lore, and, and it is a video game podcast. Yeah. But I want to spend a little bit of time on the vocals because I think people, this is something I'm relatively new at, so forgive me for any sort of ignorance on the subject No, matter. not at all. I love talking about vocals, man. But I've seen like a handful of influencers doing like tutorials on how to do different type of screams. Yeah. And so I noticed you said you broke it down to, this is all terminology that's kind of new to me, so probably new to the listeners, but you said so-and-so, the band you were referencing, is sort of the mm. mid to low range. Um, I've seen people talk about that, different screams. This one's a high, and they'll reference some guy. He's more of a high screamer, and people associate different screams with different types of metal. So for, yes, the, for yes. the uninitiated, can you kind of give us a mm. breakdown and sort of explain all that terminology as you understand it? So the example I was giving was I was talking about the American band Fit for an Autopsy, okay. uh, Will, Will Putney's band. And their vocalists, so so they they would typically get lumped in as a deathcore band, and they have a lot of deathcore elements. But the, the element I was talking specifically about was if you think of like obviously like a like with any kind of singing or vocals, right? You've got like the the lower part of the range, the middle part of the range, and the upper part of the range. Um, and we all know like the highs and the lows. But then of course you have the mids, like literally what what sits in the middle, which is kind of for most people is the easiest type of vocal to start doing. Is, is a mid, like you're sitting in the middle of the range. It's like, you know, the easier notes to sing, right, are in the middle. But that's not to say that doing really good mids is necessarily easier than, than anything else vocally. Typically speaking, deathcore tends to go with extremes. So it tends to move between very low and very high. Okay. Because you said, I think uh, amongst that, you said so-and-so sounds like he belongs in an XYZ yeah, band. Yeah. So I, what I'm interested in is, what type of vocals do, are generally associated with, with what type of metals? Because I don't understand oh, all that. Okay. And I keep hearing people talk. I'm starting to get it. But it's like, okay, because I'll hear like, oh, a lot of X metal has a lot of highs. But you just said deathcore is the extremes. It mixes top and low. Correct? So deathcore is, deathcore is a very, very interesting genre to me. Because deathcore has revolutionized metal vocals. And I sound, I sound like some kind of deathcore evangelist here. Like, I, you know, I'm in the Mensis Ritual, which kind of is partially uh, a deathcore band. But then my, my solo project isn't deathcore, and the other band I'm in is a black metal band. So I'm not just all about deathcore, but, like, as a vocalist, like, deathcore is a vocalist genre. Make no mistake about that. Oh, okay. The, 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 the progress that's been made, because extreme metal is still quite a young art form, I'd say, the progress that's been made in my lifetime, like in terms of when I started listening to metal as a teenager to now, I'm 30 now, so much has changed in the vocal game. Like the, the, the standards have gone up, like literally exponentially, like so, so much. What passed for good vocals in 2008 is, is really not what passes for good vocals now in terms of mm. certainly deathcore where vocals really matter and where it's kind of the rock star genre for vocalists if you like so vocalists really are like flexing their muscles and, and yeah, doing a showing lot of, off like a lot of different what, things what are the extreme possibilities of the human vocal cords yeah like how, yeah. yeah yeah so it started off with like if, if we go back to that sort of era because deathcore emerged like when i was a teenager about sort of like 15 years ago roughly speaking 
you had kind of like the kind of highs that say like Mitch Lucker was doing. But then also, you know, the big one, Phil Bozeman, man, from Whitechapel. So that style of lows, I remember when the, when the Whitechapel stuff was first coming out, like it was blowing all of our tiny fucking minds. And like, yeah, that, that style of guttural is now, it's like bread and butter. It's everywhere. Like it's a, it's a standard, but you can't really call yourself a deathcore vocalist if you can't do that kind of guttural, right? I mean, generally speaking, but at the time he was doing something new, like it's, it's substantively different to your typical death metal lows, like something like a cannibal corpse low. Interesting. What I'm trying to also get across to me and the audience is I've picked up that I initially viewed screaming as a low hanging fruit as when it comes to the difficulty scale of vocals. And maybe it was, like you said, back in 2008, 2006, the things people were doing weren't as difficult or the things people are doing now in 2022. But I carried that with me, and it wasn't until I started seeing videos of people doing tutorials on how to do certain scree- screams and sort of naming people and genifying them. That's how I got exposed to all these labels. And then realizing, like, holy shit, dude, these people are training. Like, like they're training like athletes. They're practicing yeah. Yeah. just as many hours as the dude on the guitar to get their vocal cords to make these insane it's like a, I realized, like, oh, this goes just as deep as beatboxing, which is another is another genre. Like, if you look right. at beatboxers yeah, in 2008 to, to the shit sure. people are doing now, I see these videos. And I'm like, how is that humanly possible to make? It's, yeah. How? How? It is. Like, you've hit on an important point there. Like, so I, so I would say, uh, being someone that also plays guitar, I think getting good at vocals is easier than getting good at guitar. Okay. I think it takes less time to get good at vocals. But it can still it still takes a long time. There's still those elements of it, just like with any craft, there's those elements of it where no matter how much you practice, you still need time to pass. You still need to you can't force it. You can't just be yes. like, I'm gonna practice eight hours a day and then, you know, it's gonna happen quicker. Like you let, need to let the years pass as you as you work on it. But I, I think I think vocals is probably easier to get to a really high level with than than guitar is. Is that because you, it, especially your particular niche, I'm thinking like yours, it's still, like you said, a young art form. Maybe it's like yeah. the early, it's the early days of the UFC where guys could come in and be champion with just like boxing and wrestling. Where today, that's not even going to get you probably into the UFC. Sure. Um, yeah, is the, the, is the that why you think right. it's less yeah. difficult? Or do you think, or maybe and also, is it just an easier skill to learn than playing guitar? I think. On balance, it probably is an easier skill to learn with a big asterisk, which is why, why that what I mean is if you want to get it to the highest levels, to get it like really proficient, I've personally, maybe, maybe this is idiosyncratic, maybe this is me personally, but I've personally found it less difficult okay. to get my vocals where I want them than to get my guitar playing where I want it. Having said that, they're fundamentally different because, for example... You know, like when I said when we were teenagers and Andrew was just fucking crazy good at guitar when he was 16, how did he, how did he get that good? Well, he played like six hours a day. And you can't like, do that for like four years or something. This yeah. is what I'm saying is like imagine yeah. practicing vocals six hours a day. So it's fundamentally different in that sense because you're, you are doing something demanding with your body. Um, the trick with vocals is little and often. So you want to practice for like, with vocals, especially if you've got something, let's say I've got recording coming up, right? I'm going to practice for 20, maybe 30 minutes a day, and I'm going to take the odd day off. So 
if I was trying to really improve my guitar playing, like if I was trying to become a shredder, I'd need to practice more than that. I'd need to practice yep. like a couple of hours a day. Yeah. But vocals is fundamentally different. Like the way I, what the thing I always compare it to when people ask these kind of questions is like, I've done quite a lot of weightlifting as well. And like, it's very, very, it's very similar to weightlifting. You don't push yourself further than you know you can go. You have to be realistic about what you can do. Um, you build it up gradually. And if you have a break, you can't expect to go back and straight away be doing what you were doing before. I've, I've recently started playing a lot more guitar again after a long break. And within a couple of sessions, it's kind of like riding a bike. You're sort of back where you, back yeah. where you were. But because of the physical element, the vocals, like I say, it's more like weightlifting. It's sort of, if I've had a few weeks off and I start again, I, I'm not going to go in thinking I'm going to be able to do what I can do at my, my pinnacle. It's going to take me a couple of weeks. Yes. Or at least a week of, of these regular practices. Just like if I took a break from the gym, I'm not going to go in and try and bench what was my max before when I was training regularly. It's just pure hubris. I'm going to hurt myself, you know? Yes. And you're going to get hurt. That's the thing. People think with, with, with extreme metal vocals, oh, you, that must be hurting you. Like, it genuinely, it does not have to. Like, there's very, very sustainable, safe ways of doing very good extreme metal vocals. As long as you don't, as long as you don't push it, right? You but at the same body. time, yeah. as much as that's possible, it's also incredibly easy to hurt yourself incredibly easy and a lot of people do a lot of people used to back in the day when there was less knowledge flying around and especially on tours man people destroy their voices on tours i can only imagine it seems stressful to me yeah well it would permanently hurt you and then it's also going to degrade your ability to do the art if you if you hit if you sustain the injury that then permanently impacts the performance of your vocal cords then maybe you can't actually hit that low forever or that high or whatever. Yeah. 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 Highs is where it's at. Like people, uh, the thing, the thing that tends to happen is people's highs, like that, that will degenerate will as they down. get older. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think <laughs> talking about sort of like the modern trends in deathcore, the, 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 the current sort of real, uh, rock stars in deathcore, the rock star vocalists, they're all pretty young generally. And like, I do wonder kind of the bar they've set for themselves with like touring and stuff it's going to be like a full-time job to manage their voices because like the stuff yeah. that those guys are doing is extremely demanding. I've heard, you know, just from less extreme forms of music, right? Just rock and roll, hip hop, whatever people who tour constantly and aren't doing those extreme vocals have a hard time maintaining. They have to have a system yeah. and a regimen to maintain their vocals and they have vocal problems and, and, they have issues and they're not even pushing them as hard as what these guys are doing. So that makes total sense to me if they're not. Yeah. You can't just do yeah, that over it, and over. It seems, it seems like a lot of anxiety to me. And I know, I know from, from certain people I've spoken to that touring as a metal vocalist can be very stressful. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen like footage or been there live for a show where a metal vocalist isn't performing or like is losing their voice. It's tough, man. It's hard to watch. So I was just going to say, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not as deep into the genre as you, and so I can't hear the same things you hear. But when I go to those shows, I mean, oftentimes the, the sound at the venue isn't great anyway. And so the clarity is, I don't know if I'd be able to tell. Like a lot of times I can barely hear the vocalists anyway. So I'm wondering if you are having like, because I know training, I try to train as much as possible, jujitsu and MMA, like, if I'm feeling like my body's, I can tell like, ooh, I could get hurt tonight. Like I'm sore and maybe I should rest, but like I still want to get some training in. 
it's okay. Like I can consciously train very light and just trust and like make sure I don't push it, but still get some technique in. And I'm yeah. wondering if you're touring, could you like phone it in one night and just bank on the fact that people can't hear you and maybe try to like survive um, that way? I don't know. Cause I've never toured. <laughs> I mean, the thing I would say to go back to something you said a minute ago, like I imagine when you go to shows, you watch the drummer pretty carefully, right? Like yeah, you pay close attention. If you were at a metal show, you would play, you would pay close attention to what the drummer's doing. The drummer and the guitars. I don't pay attention to the vocalist ever. I don't even okay. listen. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't even listen to lyrics to anybody. Okay, yeah. No, fair enough. Most most yeah. metal listeners don't. But yours, I did read because when I found out some oh, Dark okay. Souls shit, I was like, okay. Because I, I want to talk about that. And maybe I'll put that in the first and put this at the end for the video game heads so don't have to sit through super obscure death metal stuff. But yours, <laughs> I did read. And I did ask Andrew quite a bit about the process. And he basically was like, you should just talk to him about that yeah yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah he okay. doesn't he doesn't have any involvement with that side yeah of things, really. I, I wanted that's, to like nerd out, i wanted to nerd out with him and he was like uh i like dark souls but uh i don't know he did all the lyrics i don't even really i just did the riffs i'm like okay i'll talk to him <laughs> <laughs> i will uh i'll talk about that just just to finish the point from earlier though essentially if i'm at a metal show i'm just i'm focusing on the vocalist yes yes yeah, I can hear it. Like, I can hear, I can see, like, oh, this guy's, he's a little bit off tonight, or his voice is clearly really tired. I know this is the sixth, the sixth show in a row. That's probably why. Yeah. Or, like, oh, they've had a long break. He's, he's just getting back into his groove. Like, a few years ago, uh, one particular uh, UK band I went to see, I remember thinking they'd had a long break, and I thought, he's kind of off his game. And then maybe six months later, I saw them at Bloodstock Festival, and he totally killed it. So he was just getting back into his groove. Getting you know? back into the groove, yeah. But yeah, that's that's the main thing that I listen to it in at shows now is is the vocalist, like, and really weigh it up against the record. That's kind of the, that's the most interesting part of going to shows for me now is to yes. like analyze the vocals. But yeah, no, like a lot of people don't pay much attention to the vocals, and particularly lyric, like that for me, that point you made is very true, and it's a bugbear of mine. Not, not necessarily a bugbear, because I understand why people don't pay much attention to the lyrics, because the lyrics aren't very accessible. They aren't accessible. I do pay attention to, like, I think of metal vocals as almost like a rhythmic texture instrument. It is. It's, it's yeah. a fundamentally different thing to singing. Yes. But I, I personally really care about lyrics. So there's quite a low bar for lyrics in metal in general because of that aspect, because objectively they're not that important like you can get big and successful as an extreme metal band with really bad lyrics if the vocalist is good technically technically if the tone is good yeah Yeah. so but lyrics for me are important and so i put a lot of care into my own lyrics and i will i want to talk about it that's what i want to spend most of the time talking about yeah 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 yeah. okay yeah let's do that then go for it mate uh, I think that's good because I so I started paying. So I he told me it was all Dark Souls related or yes. generally themed. What he did tell me was that because I started kind of probing to kind of see what he knew about the lyrics and yes. connected to lore. And he said that you took a more thematic approach. It wasn't like you were directly writing about characters or the situation, but you were trying to capture the theme of different aspects of Dark Souls. Yeah, the lyrics aren't very literal. Okay. And I don't really I don't really deal in literal lyrics on any of my projects. 
Yeah, like you said, you had to you had to look at them, right? Yes, but it was when I first listened to them. So let's pull them up. I'd be interested to see what, as, as somebody that that's clearly very familiar with Dark Souls and Dark Souls lore, I'd be interested to see what your response was to those lyrics, like what you gleaned from them, essentially. I'm doing a an album with my brother, and he's taking the same approach. And I remember feeling the same way about yours. It's less like you're telling a story and more like you're painting a picture. Yes, yes. That's so, how I would describe it. So the the lyric the lyrics on Lordship are all. It's really I'm the, the the source material I'm drawing from is the dark path you can take in Dark Souls one and three. So I I love all all three Dark Souls games. Like I've played through all of them many times. Obviously, I think they're... of course, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd hope so. Two's two's kind of doing its own thing. As a video game, uh, two may well be actually my favourite of the series. But, <gasps> oh, yeah, I know, I know, boy. I know. But in terms of atmosphere and thematic content, um, one and three one. Are, yep. in a, are in a totally I, different league. And, and three is very much the spiritual successor to one. That's obviously not a contentious position. A lot of people have, have pointed that out. They're kind of parallel. And so, like, I was drawing from both to kind of tell the same story because it really it is the same story. Yes. And particularly the the you know the multiple endings in Dark Souls three the Lord of Hollows storyline the Lord of Hollows ending um, I think there's three different dark endings but that one for me was easily the best um, and it's kind of like a massive expansion on the themes of the dark path in 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 Dark Souls one so I kind of combined some of this you'll see lyrics on that on that record that directly reference one sometimes directly reference three sometimes. But I'm taking it and I'm transforming it into something new. So I'm, you know, I'm not constraining myself. I'm just combining the two. And then also adding in my own symbolic inferences. Because Dark Souls has these very sort of like, the story's quite hidden. You don't necessarily need to engage with with the story element to to enjoy the games. But because they're quite, because of the way they're presented, right? They're, they're, they're quite archetypal stories. They're not like, they're not like character-based stories. It's, it's, it's mythology, really. That's, yes, yes. Keep going, please. I am in agreeance, all in agreeance. The, the focus of the Lordship record, I guess, ultimately was, yeah, it was about telling that story, the symbolic inferences I made out of, out of that, but then also, like, the existential element of what the motivations might be for the undead that is choosing to change the world in that way or, like, walk that path, make those decisions, like, why they would make those decisions. You know what I love about I'm reading I'm going to I'm going to read some of them just for the for the audience to kind of get an idea. Okay. I think it also so the thing that my brother and I are trying to capture is we love how like heavy and oppressing the atmosphere of Dark Souls are in. Okay, general. sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so your your thing is a Dark Souls a Dark Souls yeah, music I, project as well. So we name I kind of got inspiration from you guys to be honest. Me and my brother had Oh, whoa. we had we had started doing some tracks but we hadn't figured out, but I was like I I did this podcast with this guy, and they use Bloodborne like terms. I'm like, and I was going through the Bloodborne glossary of like the wiki, and I'm like, there's so much fucking cool shit in here. Yeah, and I'm like, the Mensis ritual is genius, like almost jealous. Like, I wish I would have thought of that. It's so good because well, I love the term ritual too. It has, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, dude, you know, there's 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 loads of there's loads of uh, metal records now that are like Dark Souls based. Yes. And there yeah. wasn't that many. When when we set out to do this project, there wasn't that many. But because it took us so long to get the first EP out, by yes. then there was loads. There, there was, was loads, loads out. 
we're trying to just we're more expanding of just like taking references and I, my brother's doing all the lyrics and he's the vocals and sp- but i am naming projects based on like the vibe the atmosphere i'm going for so i sketch right. the ideas do like the initial production i'll say something like i'll look at i'll be looking at bloodborne or dark souls or elden ring recently like i really yes. love the boss and Elden ring mckella or macalith he's like towards uh, the end i've only just i've only just started elden ring man okay he's he's I've badass just started it he's badass yeah. I'm like, I'm literally like two sessions in. I'm like oh, level 14. Shit. Haven't killed a boss yet. <laughs> Damn. I've been too busy working on music, man. Dude, yeah, don't um, do it. Dude, it's, we'll get to that on how addictive that game is. Just don't do it yet until your shit is done I with. can see. I can see it. Bro, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I'm a fairly moderately disciplined person. I've been consistently inconsistent consistently my whole life. Elden Ring fucked me up, dude. It's fucked up a lot of people, man. That's why I kind of held off. That's why I only got it two days ago. It is hard <laughs> to not play and think about. It It sucks you in. And Anyway, I blitzed it for like basically four weeks, like a month. I'm luckily, I have a fair amount of freedom in my life. And my I told my, my wife knows my sort of tendencies and she knows Sure. Dark yeah, Souls yeah, shit yeah. is a big deal. I and mean, my brother bond over it. <laughs> he, my brother took a week off PTO for Elden Ring. And it was so like, funny. I was planning on a week, but it took me a month to get through. And right. yeah, it was bad. My kids were like, why don't you play with us anymore? Like, I was like, I got to get through it, dude. I swear I'm going to, I got to get it out. I'm already too deep. I can't stop now. I got to finish it. It's long. Yeah, your kids, your kids can just watch you play Elden Ring, mate. It's fine. They, they, they do that sometimes. <laughs> That's not their thing. They're like princesses. They're like girl shit. Um, uh, Elden Ring too. But anyway, I forgot where I was. <laughs> I was going. Uh, what, were we, what were we talking about? God, you got me going about Elden Ring. Um, we were going all over the place there, man. We were talking about music projects, and then I think, yeah, I think Elden Ring coming up was the chief thing that derailed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was doing a similar thing. <laughs> um, not, it's not Dark Souls related, but lifting sort of aesthetics and ideas and terminology from video games and video game universes that are dark and kind of what I like. And so that I name all my projects that, and then what my brother does is he'll, like if I name, I named a project Pesmerga, which is like this dark night hellbent on revenge and this super obscure nerdy JRPG called Subi Coden 2. But his whole, his whole aesthetic is he's not necessarily a bad guy, but he has taken part and done bad things to get power, to get revenge on somebody who hurt him and that, but he doesn't hurt uh, like innocent people. He just, he journeyed into the darkness to get revenge, but he's actually a good person. He doesn't use his power to hurt anyone only for revenge. Sounds like an anime plot, man. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So my brother like wrote this whole sort of, or he calls it like more like painting a picture of someone like doing a ritual and going and like taking part in some sort of occult sacrifice for power, but his motivations or kind of pure in a way. And uh, so he'll just like take that aesthetic, even though he wasn't familiar with the game at all, but I sent him the Wikipedia article of like the character. Like he did a bunch of research on the character and everything sort of falls into that dark, oppressive aesthetic thematically. And then we just curate like different other pieces of medium, games, movies, music that all have that tone. And we like make a shared document and then we just draw from it for inspiration and dark souls is in there a lot because dark souls is awesome yeah man dark souls is such a it's such a cultural moment like talk about like just defining video games like video games if you were watching a documentary about 
the development of video games and like video game history and you were watching it in like 20 years time dark souls would be in there you know what i mean like it would be in there to me i think it would be in there alongside you know the big staples it would be well it definitely is now because elden ring really broke through to the mainstream it did it did yeah yeah, yeah 100%. and so dark souls will probably I mean, demon souls i mean from software has made like seven like a bajillion games but so to clarify i've played i've played the three dark souls games and now i'm playing elden ring so <gasps> you didn't I've play ne- bloodborne no 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 this is the thing right i so i'm a big lovecraft reader i read probably 95% of Lovecraft's work. And I also love Souls. So obviously I want to play Bloodborne, but I've never had a PlayStation. Oh. <laughs> so dude. I'm just waiting. I, you know what, mate? You know what? This is, this is a personal gripe, man. But like, how have we got to a place in 2022 when God of War has a PC release, but Bloodborne does dude. not have a PC release? Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And Bloodborne has been rumored to have a PC release It's forever. free money. It's For, free money. It's free. Dude, you could... <laughs> I mean, I don't want them to do this, but you could do a pretty bare bones port. Make your money. Yeah, you could do a, you could do a Dark Souls one, st- original Dark Souls one on Steam. Fucking port where the where the FPS is unacceptable and it doesn't even work. And you just rely let on the community. The, let yes, someone in the community yes. make a patch two days will. later. That's exactly. And I'd still what I was be grateful say. for it. I'd still be grateful. Exactly. For it. I yeah. was going to say that same shit. Like, I don't want them to do this, but. You could just phone this in and let the community fix it for you because yeah, we will do yeah. it. Not me, but the community. Other people. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I mean, I, I, I delve deep into mods and emulators and I, I will always rant and rave about like all the. Yeah, unsung- you play retro games, don't you? So yeah. And I like to fuck with retro bro. games. And there are people yeah. out there, obviously for free, just out of the love of a certain franchise or a certain game. Uh, for example, right now, PS1 emulation semi recently just got the ability to do texture swapping where you can like dump the textures from the game, replace them with custom textures. And so what a lot of people are doing is they're pulling all the textures from games and then running them through AI upscalers. This one called Earthscan, which is run by NVIDIA and then putting them back in the game. So you can like, and then you can run the games at modern resolutions with like FPS patches with these emulators. And you can basically do DIY remasters that are as good as anything like official studios are putting out for especially for like PS1 era remasters. Like the new Chrono Cross Switch remaster is not better than what you can do just with emulation right now in the community. It's it's better. The community does a better job for a lot of these things. And I think with Bloodborne and obviously with Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls both Dark Souls 1 and Prepare to Die edition, the modding scene is insane. There's so much cool shit. So much cool shit. Like did you see the remass test test remass tester mod that puts halo guns into dark souls one. Oh my god it's no hilarious. no i didn't i've not done a lot of modding of dark souls but um i'm also a very big elder scrolls fan so that's Ooh, that's, that's also another of, scene that's that's where most of my modding has happened yeah, yeah well that's the yeah. most modded game in history by far Mo- modding skyrim and modding morrowind yeah and yeah like skyrim is the most modded game in history without without a fucking doubt yeah 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 so you have you played all the Elder Scrolls like all the way from but what's before Morrowind? I can't remember. Was there one? Well, there's arena. There's there's arena and Daggerfall. That's one yes. and two. Okay. And I haven't I haven't played them. Like I've watched I, I've watched quite a bit of Daggerfall uh, gameplay, and there's like there's well, there's ways to mod up Daggerfall to play it now. I tell you what it is, man. Tell me if, what you think about this. Like I think whenever you start playing video games, whenever whatever age you are when you start playing video games, you know, and whatever year it is. 
something happens where you your brain creates like a baseline and it's very difficult to go back to like access and appreciate things from before your baseline if that makes sense yeah. especially when we're talking about the really fucking primordial games from like you know the, the the 90s or maybe even the 80s and stuff so i started playing morrowind when i was 11 years old i had played video games a bit before that but this was the first this was my first rpg and i really got into it in a way i hadn't got into other video games before and i became like an rpg fan and like morrowind to me is just when 3d graphics started to look acceptable so if you look even a couple of years before morrowind you've got shit like thief 2 and i look at that and it's like it's like fucking origami figures it's awful (laughs) but to me to me morrowind is fine but actually actually to someone born in the year 2000 morrowind is not fine at all they look at morrowind the same way i look at thief 2 probably the same way i'd look at the original fucking doom so they don't want to play that but to me to go back and play morrowind or to play something like knights of the old republic something from a similar year is acceptable even though like objectively you're 100% Objectively, right. the yeah. graphics are fucking garbage, you know. But you're 100% right. My experience is the same. Like I started with the NES, and the truth is anything pre-NES, I'll have guests on and they'll recommend games and I I might try them for a video or two, but I don't I only play games pre-NES for the sake of the podcast for a video, just for putting content. I don't really enjoy them. It's a curiosity. It's a curiosity thing, but yeah. so in but I would also say there's actually one other, one other factor on top of that that really sets your baseline. So your baseline number one is what is the level you first experienced, but it's also what is the level during the most magical time of your like psychological development, emotional <laughs> development, which is precisely I would say eleven to eighteen, eleven to seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I- Whatever blows your mind from 11 to 18 is going to set your taste, like sort of the foundation of your taste and your personality and like your consumption and your aesthetics and all that stuff. That's the time when media and music and movies hit you in a way that they just will. Occasionally you can be hit like that as an adult if it's a really compelling piece of art. But that's why we all seek nostalgia because things don't hit the way they hit. When you're 11 to 18, they just don't. I do, I do think there's some truth in what you're saying. But I found my, while that is undeniably true, the way I interact with different mediums is different. So, for example, like something I will say is that, like, regarding video games, I am very much like that. So I think about, like, you know, like uncles I have who they they stopped they stopped listening to new music when they were like 25 and now yes. they're like 60 and they're still just listening to the same albums they were listening to in their in their 20s to a large extent that's kind of what i'm like with video games like i play way too many games from like 2002 to 2005 yes. and i have very like curmudgeonly opinions about most of what comes out these days with the occasional exception like a fromsoft game where yes. i'm like all right, let me tuck right in. This is going to be sick. But other than that, you know, most of what comes out nowadays, I'm not interested in. And actually, before I started playing Elden Ring a couple of days ago, all I've been playing for about six months is Morrowind. But I'm not like that with music. I'm still very much, and have been pretty much the whole way through, consistently discovering new stuff with music. And I would say, on the whole... The stuff that I like that's come out in the last few years, I think is more exciting than the stuff that I liked when I was a teenager. And some of that I still think is good. 
but I think the most a lot of the newer stuff is better. So that's, I have a different yes. a different relationship with the music than I have. For that's the a very good games. point. As you were speaking, I've realized I'm I'm similar in the sense of my video game taste is a little more old manish. I do try probably more new games than you on average a year. It's not hard to try more but, new games than me, but not yeah. not a ton. <laughs> I would say there's probably two games a year that are new that really get me, like God of War on PS4 when it came out. That was a new game that okay classic yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. that hit me. Last of Us Two, Last of Us One were big ones that I got into, but there might be yeah. one every year or one every other year that becomes a new landmark game. It's and the it, cream of the crop, really, isn't the it? Cream Stuff of the like crop. God, yeah, God like of War really and compelling Last art. of Us, you know. Yeah, or then the rest of the time, I'm just either curiosity looking at retro stuff from an era that does feel magical to me because it was magical. Like For me, it's the PlayStation 1. Like that era, Sega Saturn, that shit, like even though it looks like shit, it makes my soul just feel good when I look at it. Mate, I, I, I saw you post something where you had like, it was Bloodborne, but rendered in like PS1 graphics. Oh yeah, hell yeah. yeah <laughs> I yeah, thought yeah. that was great. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's I That's another thing, that. that's a community, like, like back to what you were saying, the, the Bloodborne community is so passionate. There's a dude out there that I bet, made, I bet. he made a PS1 demake, it's playable, you can download it right now and play it on your computer. It goes from the very beginning all the way to the, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Father Gascoigne. Is that how you say his name? Gascoigne, yeah. yeah. Oh, I haven't even played Bloodborne, but Gascoigne is, a, is a word. You probably know who he is, yeah. yeah. It, yeah, it's, a name. It's, yeah. It's, it's that whole section of the game remade as like a PS1, which for, I am the target audience for that, because I love the PS1 aesthetic. It sounds like you are, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> I'm similar in the sense with music. I When it comes to electronic music and some heavy music, I am still finding new stuff but i definitely have like playlists of tried and true stuff again for like, probably from 12 music goes a little bit higher probably from 12 to 25 26 right. i have a bunch of stuff that i've curated that i can always and there's enough of it i can go back and i can stay in that world quite a lot but with heavy music because and this sort of the electronic music that i'm into i'm constantly finding new shit like I'm yeah. in that small section, yeah. And this is that this comes back to the point we were talking about earlier about like the struggles of if you're going to try and like make a living off of niche music and this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's never been harder to make a living as a musician, but also as a as a music consumer, the selection has never been better. Yes, the quality's better too. Overall, I think. Yeah, the quality the quality is better. And I think if Andrew was as good as he is. In 1970, he would be on the Rock and Hall Hall of Fame. I, I could tell how good he is from his videos and what you were saying and how good he was at 16. Like yeah. There are a few dudes that can sit and consistently put six hours a day into an instrument. It's a very small selection of young people that have the focus yeah. to do that. I don't think he's doing that anymore. No, but, but he, <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. He's, he I, did. He did it. He did it. Reminded yeah, yeah. He definitely of, did it. Of, I put from like 11 to 18 in drums, like seven years. I put yeah. in fucking time, like more than anybody I knew. And I got pretty good. And then I, it trailed off after that because I, I just didn't have the confidence I could do anything with it. But I, I sensed that in him. And I think, he, I think he's much better at guitar than I am at drums. But I think guys like him, in 1970, if you put that sort of time in, you had maybe like a one in a thousand odds of like getting noticed. Whereas in 2022, you can... You can really put the work in, and it's still like finding a needle in a haystack. I mean, there are tools to get your name out there and market, TikTok being one of them. 
Well, in twenty in twenty twenty two, you can get noticed, and it doesn't matter. You're still not going to make a living. That's what I'm living. trying to say. You can, yeah, you can even if you get noticed, it's but it's like it doesn't have the same like reward financially and fame wise. Fame yeah. has become decentralized. Like there's no more superstars, 100%. but there's stars perfect. in niches. Yeah, it's the perfect that that is the perfect adjective for it. It's become decentralized. Yeah, um, so it's like you look at the the sort of the iconic really big old old metal metal bands extreme metal bands like uh you know metallica or slayer or whatever no no one is coming up to replace them you see these increasingly old men like headlining festivals no one's coming up to replace them not because there isn't a dirge of of incredible musicians just because the landscape's changed so much there's no megastars like that yeah you become big in your niche yes you become big in your niche now you don't become big the way metallica are big generally speaking as a metal band like i think of i can think of a few i can think of like for example in the uk right the band architects i think i know who that is architects i would say i would say architects off the top of my head architects are the biggest uk band that i would say are legitimately like an extreme metal band okay i'm sure the guys in architects are making a good living like maybe even a better than average living but they're not getting rich the way kiss were getting rich no no. You know, yes. it's just a different game, man. And like I say, for for me, to to try and make my living off of this stuff just has never even looked a little bit like an option, yeah. which frees me up. I'm not stressed about it. It's like, I'm going to create the art that I want to create. Yep. And I, in the meantime, I have to make a living. Yes. And that is what it is. And actually, or it's Or you can scheme your way into when you, what it takes to make a living it requires less and less of your time which is the goal I've been working at. And then you can spend your time doing art and hobbies and it may go somewhere. It may not it like, but it just really, really doesn't matter. Well, this, this is a very good point you make, but the work that I do and the skills that I have is, is like soft skills. It's social. It requires time. It's not the kind of thing you can, you know, you see these, you see these like, uh, you know, I've seen these people chatting on Reddit, like, Oh yeah. During lockdown, they do some, it type job from home and during lockdown they got like three jobs because they realized they could like make it efficient and do the day's work in like yeah. two or three hours yeah, and then yeah. they can do free jobs now you're on 100k the kind yeah. of work that i do that's not an option to do yeah. that what do you do like if you mind me asking i work in education in what is called an alternate provision i basically work with kids like teenagers that have been expelled from school oh okay my brother did a very, uh, for a long time, it sounds similar. He worked with kids. I don't know if they were specifically expelled, but they were basically sent to this program where, because they were troubled for whatever reason or acting out for whatever reason, he would run like a nature thing where like they would make him go like extreme camping, like six months. That sounds awesome, man. That sounds sick. Yeah. He swears by it. He swears that like it didn't work for everybody, obviously. No, I think that would be good. I think that yeah. would be good. He said that, that the success yeah. rate, yeah. the success rate was was pretty good. I don't remember exactly what he said, but they, they would just make the kids deal with natural consequences. Like if you don't, like we're not going to tell you what to do, but you're out here, you're stuck with us. If you want to eat dinner, you got to hike from this point to that point and make your own fire. If you don't want to do it, you don't want to make your fire, then you can be cold. Like like no one is forcing you to do anything. You just you have to deal with the situation you're in. And he said for like I want to say he said maybe slightly over half of the kids it worked yeah i imagine it would yeah. i imagine that would be effective so i think it's a that's a really commendable i mean those kind of programs are important 
I think it's a commendable. I've always done. I've always done kind of like people based work and vocational kind of work. I like that. But then also, again, that doesn't doesn't yield much financial reward, and there's no real way to like meta game it. <laughs> yeah, there's not a there's not yeah a, yeah. yeah. So even those companies, it's it's like it's not a business model that like this Wall Street's going to be really interested in. Well, money right? is money is where money's made. Yes, and it's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. To an extent, people doing vocational work, people working the kind of jobs you do through the state, you're always like to an extent you're going to get taken the piss out of because it's just like what you do doesn't generate any wealth. And because it's vocational, it's inherently motivating. So it's like if somebody's doing a job where they're essentially like dealing with data and numbers and spreadsheets and whatever all day, like to most people, that's not inherently motivating. So you need to give them a decent financial reward. But those kind of things tend to make money. So you can give them a decent financial reward. That's a really good point. Yeah, well, as vocational work is inherently rewarding. So whether you reward it, whether you reward it properly financially or not, people are going to be motivated to do it. People are going to work in education. They're going to work in as nurses and stuff and social workers, regardless of whether you uh, compensate them properly or not. But that again, that is, you know, that's not necessarily me griping. Like I've accepted that is what it is. And I've still made the decision that that's what I'm going to do. Um, in fact, I don't really feel like that decision is particularly within my power. It wasn't a, something I consciously did. It's just what happened. It's what happened. Yeah. Just like, just <laughs> like making the art is just what happened. So I just go with it and, and trust it's going somewhere, you know. Do you ever, do you ever have the, op- the, is it ever an appropriate time that you get to scream at a kid? Because goddamn, I bet you could scream. Like I've, if I was 14 and you hit me with a guttural demon scream, because I was acting out and told me to give me 20 push-ups. Yes, sir. <laughs> like I would. <laughs> I, uh, you know what, mate? Most of the kids I work with, they don't even know. They don't even know about the music. Oh, they don't know what I can okay. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all into, they're all into this uh, style of music called drill. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, I mean, or maybe a drill sergeant. You, you could be a really good drill sergeant, I bet. Get in some dude's face and just hit him with some demon screws. I, I know I'm off, off topic, but it just... The image came into my mind because I remember asking Andrew specifically about your vocals. I didn't know anything right. about it. And I asked him, the episode's not out yet, but uh, I said, like, so how much processing goes in to, like, making a voice sound like that? Because I was almost suspicious. I'd never talked to anyone that does those extreme vocals, minus a few of creating videos. I was suspicious it was, like, not even possible to get that sound naturally. And he's like, uh, I don't think we do that much processing. It pretty much comes like that. Yeah. This is something that a lot of people that don't know about vocals think, which is a very understandable thing to think, which is to assume that there is some kind of, uh, electronic layer there that's yes. creating the level of distortion or distortion or like certain it, compression isn't. and EQ, whatever. Yeah, there isn't. It's like, yeah. Okay. So, so if you are a sound engineer and you're mixing an extreme metal record, yeah, you're going to like apply compression and you're going to yeah. EQ the vocals and you're going to put a bit of reverb on them, which is exactly what you're going to do with clean singing with, as well. With any, so, anything. yes. So there's no more, there's no more processing on the metal vocals than there is on, uh, any other kind of, kind of vocals. What it is, is just the, the technique to make those sounds or the techniques you can use to make those sounds are still relatively niche. And it's kind of like, 
There's so like, there's so many other skills you could use as a parallel. Like I can't really play chess. If I watch a if I watch a chess master win a match, I can't really appreciate what I'm seeing. Like I don't really understand how he's doing it. And it's the same. It's the same thing. Like I'm using my body. Uh, I'm using a technique. Like so that the the main you you might have heard these phrases before. Um, people talk about like false chord and fry yes. screams. Yes. What are those? Explain those for us. As best as I can explain them, those are kind of the two core techniques that metal vocalists use. I don't do fry. I only do false chord. I don't really know how to... Well, I do know how to do fry. I I haven't put the time into like developing it because it's like a totally separate thing. But when you do voice... I can only really talk with authority about false chord vocals. But when you do false chord vocals, so in your throat, you have the uh, the vocal cords and then you have these uh, flaps of these sort of flaps of skin that sit on top and those are called the false cords and they're there to protect the vocal cords because your vocal cords are quite um are quite delicate okay. and when you use the false chord uh, like a like a, a false chord scream you don't engage your vocal cords so you're pushing the air up from the diaphragm the same way a singer is uh and then you are using the false cords in your throat which are like these flaps they're like flapping around creating the distortion and the other muscles in your throat you can kind of train them to constrict in certain ways or you can manipulate them in certain ways and then another huge part of the tone is how you shape your mouth so a lot of the time i'm not even engaging my my vocal cords at all which is why it sounds absolutely nothing like my talking voice because it isn't my voice uh, it is not it's literally not my voice let me let me interject you so Make sure I'm understanding. So I understand that the distort. I can I can visualize how air getting pushed by flaps could create a distortion sound, right? Yeah. But you're saying you're constricting your throat muscles to create a tone, sort of similar to say when you blow at the top of like a soda can or a soda bottle, and you can and it can make a sound depending. It's on like the- um. Have you ever heard those? Have you ever heard those like uh, Mongolian throat singers? Yes, yeah. It's this, it's it's like that, but distorted. Okay, it's like a sigh. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around if your vocal cords are not being engaged. Aside from the sound of the air getting pushed through, where is the sound coming from? Is it the resonance of the air moving yeah, through it your is. your it's throat? The reson- so it's like if you imagine, right? If you were to like exhale and breathe out air, you could still get like. <laughs> There's still like a sound. It's quiet, but there's still a sound which is not your voice. Yeah, is the sound of the exhalation, and then you can you can create distortion. You could push the air out with 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 a solid core, with more like with like controlled force from the diaphragm, like which is the breath control, and then you can dis- you could be distorting that with your throat and with your mouth. Can you feel like? Do you have the ability to sense or can? influence the actual flaps or is it just they naturally flap with the air goes it's like you know you know how you know how singers often talk about like um visualization yes yeah you have to use visualization because you can't see the inside of your throat are you getting like physical even though you're visualizing it are you getting like feedback from your body like sense like can you feel the flaps and kind of where they're at and what type of distortion you can't feel it no, it's okay. just you, you, you develop an intuition for it. Okay, okay. You develop an intuition for it, and then, yeah, you just kind of... 
I think in terms of like learning the core technique to do vocals doesn't take that long. Like okay. if I think back to when I first started doing vocals, within like six months, I had like what to me probably wouldn't sound that good to me now, but to me at the time, what sounded like a decent mid growl and guttural I could do. But then it took a lot of years to really mold that into something that I could fully control and start to to like really manipulate. Hmm. And most of that real manipulation goes on in, in how you shape your mouth. The mouth, okay. Yeah, that's a really big one. Um, but you again, you just develop an instinct for it because it's because it's fully physical. It's your body. It's intuitive. Yes, and this, you know, instruments are intuitive as well, right? You spend enough time behind a drum kit or enough time with a guitar in your hands, like you don't have to think about what you're doing. You yes. can just you can just do it. It's like that, really. Except you know, it has that added element, like I was mentioning earlier, where you you have to manage your body. You know, you have to listen to your body. I have a suspicion that the amount of air or lung capacity it takes to sustain a scream is significantly higher than a regular singing voice. I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. I think if anything, it, it might even go the other, it might even run the other way. You'd be surprised once you've got, once you've got the technique down and you're practicing regularly, you should be developing good breath control. And once you've got good breath control, like you can keep a, a stable scream that doesn't change. You can do it for ages. You can do it for ages and you just eke out the air. Like, and I don't know what it's like for conventional singers because I'm, I'm not a conventional singer. Like, I've probably, I, well, no, I probably, I have got a bit better at singing through doing this stuff because I can control my voice better. But I'm not a singer. I wouldn't say I was a singer. I've not put any time into practicing singing. So I couldn't say. But yeah, you can maintain a scream for fucking ages if you know what you're doing. And it's not that hard and you're not using that much air. What uses air is like the main thing that really taxes you generally in vocals is changing what you're doing, like changing the tone or the pitch or like changing techniques. Like that's what's difficult. If you can key into one thing, I don't know if you're in like some death doom band or some funeral doom band and it's just all gutturals, you can just key into gutturals. It's, it's really easy. But again, that's where, like, yeah, the acrobatics of deathcore, man, that's where it comes in. Like, they're really, you think about all the big deathcore guys these days, the big deathcore vocalists, like, they're all over the place. They're going up, they're going down, they're doing, like, weird, different, like, tonal things. They're going all over the place. I wanted to ask, what is your favorite part, lyrically, of the album, and how it relates to Dark Souls, and what inspired you, and why it's your favorite? Whoa. But my favorite part on, on the Lordship record. Lordship record. And when I say, fa- when I'm talking about favorite part right now, I just mean as far as lyrics go and how they relate to Dark Souls. You got you to gotta pick a, a child that you love the most. That's what I want to know. And then we're going to read it. I want to read it and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously like a hard question. Intuitively, the thing that's coming to mind for me is actually the first passage of the song Hopeless, which is the third track. I don't know why that's coming to mind, but that that the opening passage from that song uh I really like. The first the first paragraph? Yes. Okay, let's read it. Dead eyes may yet see the path of a pilgrim in blessed disease, suppressed and ensorcelled. That's right, ensorcelled, yeah. Ensorcelled, the cycle repeats. May a hopeless heart 
sever the bindings, rise from bent knees. Yes. I definitely see like the aesthetic or the like the cycle. It feels I can see how it would apply to Dark Souls, but I want you to tell me why it's your favorite and maybe the stuff how it relates to Dark Souls in a way that I couldn't pick up without being you and knowing the intricacies of how you put that passage together. Yeah, I mean if if I was going to interpret that passage um quite literally, quite literally rather, the blessed disease is the is the dark sign. Yes. Um, is the undead curse. The pilgrimages, I mean, like a, a, a Dark Souls, particularly, obviously, when I say Dark Souls 1 and 3 have this strong connection. I mean, to me, more than anything with Dark Souls 1, but also with Dark Souls 3, now I think about it, like, it is essentially a pilgrimage. That's the vibe of what you're doing as you're playing through the game. Uh, suppressed and ensorcelled, the cycle repeats. That's to do with the, like... You know the way like the age of fire is going on beyond beyond its natural age, and so like you just have this this repeated cycle of like essentially sacrifices to keep it going is the interpretation I I get from what's going on in the game, and then the breaking breaking the bindings, riding from bent knees. That's kind of like that's the will to to like to, to to cut that short, to like cut that off, and and to usher in something new. Yeah, that's how I guess that's how I would interpret that passage. This badass dude, arise and reform, cursed son of ash, bound to seek in their deceit, as fate surely bears up, death burdens down, yet no dreamless sleep, burn, burn for the gods, a fool or a martyr, cinder abdic. I know that word abdicate. I just can't pronounce it. Abdicates, bring champions forth, unkindled, unworthy, just fuel for the forge. So yeah, back to what you're saying. You're just stuck in this, like, go on the pilgrimage and be fuel for the cycle. Continue it. It's hopeless. Hopeless. Pray for an end offered false redemption, caught in contention between grim sacrifice and the end of all light. You'd end the whole thing and descend into chaos. Which, by the way, there is a similar, obviously all Dark Souls games. I don't want to spoil anything from Elden Ring, but I'll just say I got the chaos ending. Yeah, it's not that deep if you if you give me some spoil. I'm not precious about spoilers for anything, and yeah. particularly for a Souls game. I mean, what even it, is a spoiler? It's like it was all so vague anyway. It, 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 I mean, there's different permutations, but it's very similar to the Dark Souls games where you have like a handful of thematic endings and then sort of small details that change based on what you do to certain NPCs. Um, yeah. But as far as the theme goes, I got the to end the cycle, burn it all down, kill everything. And, you know, there's nothing left. Like, it's the only way, like, yeah, the frenzied frame chaos, which is like in a lots of other games, obviously. Hope is the curse, strength and darkness, a ring burned in flesh, warding death, the sign. Yeah, idols are spurned, servile no longer. Lord, take what is left. Hopeless, pray for an end. Offered false redemption while lordship beckons, a damned game to play upon. Either way, pray, pray, pray for an end. Beholden to none, divine will undone, relinquish the sun. It's, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me, like, reading it with you. And, like, again, I'm not the best person when it comes to lyrics, especially metal lyrics. I'm listening to them more of, like, a texture and a rhythm. Sure, yeah. But I'm reading this, and it's just, like, the lyrics are as heavy as as the music. Yeah, yeah. It's, It's as heavy as the music. And actually, so the the new record we're making now, which I get again, like uh, just to do a bit of promotion here, uh, the new single is called God Cursed, 
It, the single will uh, definitely be out by the time I edit this and put it out. So I will put all the applicable yeah. links in the podcast so description. In the fu- in the future, go to Spotify right now and <laughs> yes. listen to God Cursed on Spotify. New What's single it called? by the, the God Ritual. Pass. Uh, God Cursed. Ooh, I love that God Cursed. Um, and so. I am, again, for the new record, I'm writing from a particular source material, but I'm not using, uh, I'm not using any video games, actually. I'm not using Dark Souls anymore. I'm using a particular novel, like a dark existential novel. So the new record is going to be called k Uh And like yeah. I say, the, the first single is going to be called God Cursed. It's, it's similar in the sense that I'm using a particular source material. I'm drawing what I want out of it. And the themes, I guess, they're not, they're not that different. I've really been enjoying the process of uh, using a piece of literature, actually, as the inspiration. What's the source in literature that you're referencing? So the book that I'm using is called Grendel. Grendel. Isn't that the like, so, old Norse myth? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Grendel, yeah. Is, Grendel is the first monster that Beowulf kills in the, the Beowulf. Yes, he's the like, first monster in Beowulf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there is a... I don't. I don't know any other books this guy's. This guy's written actually. I've never read any of his other books. But this guy John Gardner, he wrote this sort of like dark existential philosophy heavy kind of novel called Grendel, which is all like from the perspective of the monster. And it, like to me, it's just a really fascinating piece of literature, and it like perfectly combines two things I love, which is like existential philosophy heavy literature with dark fantasy together mixed in, and so. Yeah, I'm using that as the source material for the new for the for the new songs and for the new record and uh kind of like riffing off of the symbolic thematic stuff the way I did with the first record, but also just like drawing directly from the source material as well. Um and I, I'm I'm super excited for people to hear this to hear this first single to be honest. I am intrigued, however, I will say there's there's something that if you don't do, I'm not gonna like it. I'll tell Go you on. right now. If you don't talk about a super hot, topless demon Angelina Jolie, then <laughs> I'm going to be super pissed because woo, it's one of my favorite scenes. And she's like, well, Grend- listen, dude, listen, <laughs> that's, that's Grendel's mother, right? Yes. Yes. That was, that was, uh, whoever made the, the Ray Winston Beowulf animation that you're referencing. Uh, that was their own creative license. Uh, of course. The hot, sexy There's person. No- yeah, Why, yeah, 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 I should have yeah. known. I should have known. In the original, in the original uh, epic poem, she is just a hideous monster like Grendel. Okay. And in the novel that I'm using as the source material, she's the same, but um, he's highly intelligent and she's not. Oh. She doesn't. She's not really going to come up a lot. Like, <laughs> uh, there's not a lot to write about her. Again, like the version of the story I'm using is purely the is purely the John Gardner novel. So. I'm afraid to say I am going to disappoint you. There is going to be no Angelina Jolie tits moment on this record. I was definitely kidding. I hope to everyone that was obvious. Yeah, 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 sort yeah. of. I do yeah, like no, Angelina. No tits, no tits, only pain, mate. Damn it's it. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Obviously, the tits, I can see why that's creative license. However, thematically, I could see if I was going to be the guy on the marketing team, like, we got to put some titties in this movie. This yeah. would be my angle. I would say thematically, it is a dark twist that his mother is like this very powerful, beautiful monster and obviously doesn't suffer the same way he suffers. And she doesn't give a fuck that he suffers. In fact, she's like torturing him and your own mother who's supposed to be like 
who's supposed to love you. Like the one thing in this world that's like, even if all your other cards are shit, you're supposed to, like mothers are supposed to love their children. It's supposed to be, and she doesn't. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. You could, you know, you could make that argument. I don't know how she is in the literature. It sounds like in the one you're referencing, she's, which is also dark. If she's an idiot and Grendel's not, and he understands that he's different, but he's powerless. I could also see that being super dark too. Well, Grendel, Grendel in the novel is, he's like chewed up with like rumination and resentment. He has all this intellect, but he doesn't have anything anywhere positive to put it. And then the only, the only intellectual conversation partner he can find is the dragon and the dragon in the, in this particular rendition of the story is almost like it's probably a figment of his imagination, right? It's just this absolute embodiment of callous nihilism. And it just like tips him over the edge. And actually on the, on the single. So I mentioned that one of the other bands that I'm in. So I, I play bass in this black metal band, Archaeophant. The vocalist from that band, who's a good friend of mine, I've got him to do, he's doing all the dragon's lines on the oh. new Mensis ritual. So that he's almost like, he's like playing a theatrical character, you know? And he's on this, he's on this first single. You have this like clear distinction between the two characters in the song. I do remember Andrew telling me that you were working with another vocalist, but I didn't realize. And I actually think if memory serves, he did mention Grendel. I just had forgotten. Um, we yeah. didn't talk about it in depth, but I think he did mention that there was someone else. He didn't say it was playing the dragon's voice. So that's, that's pretty cool. He did say though, that the dynamic between you two, like he said that, um, your friend's voice is very distinct to yours, very different. I'm pretty sure that's what he told me, and it's cool to hear you guys going back and forth. Yeah, I guess our voices are, are different. Like we can do some similar stuff to each other. I think it's particularly the character voice that he's doing on this track. Okay, yeah, he's yeah. more doing a character voice than doing like a full, a full vocal line. Okay, because the dragon in the story, he he doesn't sound like booming and powerful, right? He sounds old and sick. Dude, I just realized, you know what we need to do? I don't know if your vocal cords are ready, but normally at the end of my intros, I have like a, like a little jingle I made, like a little NES retro sounding jingle, unless I have a musical guest on. If I have a musical guest on, I always put a clip for one of their tracks as like in, to separate the intro and the podcast. It's like a, mm-hmm. And I was going to do that for you guys, but can you give me like your gnarliest, gnarliest scream? And then I'll put that as, or maybe a guttural, <laughs> and then I'll put that after the intro ends, just this like, Rah! and then the podcast starts. Let, me, let, me, see if I've, let me see if I've got it right now. Let me see if I can summon it up. Ready. <laughs> How's that? That's pretty epic. It sounds... <laughs> On on a on a Zoom call or a Google Hangouts call, it sounds, it does sound processed a little bit. Even then, like, not, I know you're doing it for real, but there is kind of like a buzz to it that I thought maybe in the mix phase people were adding like slight distortion or warmth no. through like tubes no, or something. The processing's happening in here, mate. The processing's yeah, yeah. happening in here. <laughs> I mean, I, I also know there's probably most likely a range, like any genre of music, you're gonna have more raw styles of production and you're going to have more polished sort of studio magic styles. And I'm, I bet yeah, in, yeah. in your genre, I'm not as uh well versed. I know decent amount of just like regular metal and kind of more pedestrian stuff, 
but in deathcore, are there like hyper produced people that maybe do more electronic stuff with their vocals, but it's obvious, like that's the style? You don't, it's. Um, what you mean, kind of like a, some kind of equivalent of auto tune, let's say. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Not that, I, not that I'm aware of. Okay. You know, you have like deathcore is typically, it's typically more produced than say modern black metal or modern people that are making death metal with more of an old school sound. So deathcore is typically more produced than that. It's more glossy, uh, but that's in all elements. That's in all elements, not just vocals. So no, there's not really, as far as I know, there's not really an equivalent. And there probably is. There probably is some way that if you're like crap at vocals, you could put some effect on and yeah, like, I'm wondering, beef like, it out a little bit. But aesthetically, maybe even do it to the point where it's obvious, right? That it's not natural. Yeah, I get that. Like, like run it through a distortion pedal or like play with filters and like maybe like mix electronic with heavy death vocal. That's something I've actually thought about. I was going to ask you maybe after the show, but we'll just talk about it. I was wondering if you either have some ready. Or I could send you some electronic tracks. I was thinking of taking like a deathcore scream and like reverbing it out and using it as like the back pad for like some sort of heavy bass line. You know how like a lot of times in like heavy metal choruses, you'll have sort of like a pad that's just like wind. It's like a single note drone. It's very sure. like it's a pure reverb and it kind of just fills the space in the back. And I was like, man, it would sound so heavy if like the back of some heavy beat was built out of just like the most guttural demon scream but it, you know it's electronic music so it's going to be processed well i mean shit. i wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind doing that for you if you wanted would- me to some other time like send you some uh just like send you some like s- elongated s- yeah. s- screams that you could then do something with that that yes. really wouldn't be a lot of skin off my nose that would be like five minutes of my time so. yeah if you already have someone handy just send them my way i'd like to experience i don't but but i i don't mind doing that for you man if you want if you want that i can do that that's not a yeah i deal. have this uh distortion pedal called the necromancer it's like oh, this sor- sort of boutique distortion pedal and one called the thunder the thunder is really known for like a very warm sort of tape subtle fuzz Right. Um, and I really want to run some vocals through that. And then I want to run them through this Empress reverb, which is my favorite reverb. Then you side chain it and you can create some like really cool spaces. But I think they would have, instead of it being like regular synth pads, I think the texture of it being like a scream will subtly just make it so much more gnarly. I, I want to try it and see what happens. That would be rad, man. Yeah, yeah, that would be rad. If you use it, you can just credit the worm lord. Man. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we'll figure something out. <laughs> I mean, this is a new project with my brother and I. Um, I will market it with the podcast and my previous production names, which do still have, like, it might get some traction, but, I mean, it's just going to go on the internet and be super niche and whatever, right? Yeah. It's just going to yeah. do its thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, but, uh, yeah, we'll definitely, maybe maybe we'll turn some ears to the Mensis Ritual, hopefully. I've definitely reposted a bunch of your shit. I when when it, Andrew has a particularly good riff, I'll try to repost oh, it. Yeah, some of some of his riffs, man. Some of his riffs are just like some of his riffs. Yeah, damn. You could live off that, mate. It's like a big dinner. It's just it's great. Yeah, yeah. And he does. He said he programs the drums himself. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's dude, they standard, sound, bro. They sound fine to me. I mean, he was kind of like, bro. I program drums. Everyone, everyone that, yes, that makes their own yeah. metal. Well, dude, even if you rec- even if you record them, they just get swapped out with the same samples because in order to get that really heavy sound, 
I, I don't know as much about production. My brother's a really good engineer, and he's explained some of this to me. But you only have so much space in the frequency spectrum. Yeah. In order to make things sound certain loud, there can be no fat, like no fat at all. Everything has to be carved out and placed in the in the right spot. And drums are very hard to record, but people have gone and recorded the best samples in the best studios and modern metal engineers have kind of figured out like these drums are perfect and they sit perfectly where they need to be in order to make everything as big and as loud and have the space for the guitars and vocals. And so when it comes to most metal heavy music, even if they have a drummer that plays them, it 90% of it gets triggered. The samples get triggered or swapped out with like usually Steven Slate digital drums or tune drummers or that there's some like pretty popular um yeah and he he programs them just as good as a real drummer would i i, I we listened to it after we had our interview and was trying to listen for like did he program anything that maybe isn't physically possible to actually play like you would need an extra limb that is a trap sometimes that guitarists fall into when they're programming drums yeah and uh but yeah. i didn't hear anything i didn't hear anything that was just like that is obvious. I mean, when I listen to that type of music, really when I'm listening to that type of music, I'm listening to one thing. I'm listening to the riff. And everything is built around, in my mind, is built around to make the riff hit as good as it can hit. Yeah, I think the thing with programmed drums is it is a challenge. It is a challenge to write drums if you're not a drummer. Yeah. And that was a steep learning curve for me. And I like, you know, I know it was for Andrew too, and for most people in our in our boat. And you're never gonna you're never gonna get the nuance with it you would have if you were a drummer. Yeah. Like I think the thing that, that we'll get in our own heads about with, with something like programming drums is like, yeah, okay, I can create like a like a backbone beat that makes sense for this for this section of the song. But like to write really creative fills and really creative just like little bits with the drums that are yes. interesting. If you're not a drummer some some people are still very talented at doing that, but I think if you've no experience of playing the drums, which I don't, it's hard. That, yeah, that's quite hard to do. And so, like, I would love to have a drummer to like go over the stuff that I write and like add in some interesting creative fills or whatever. But what do you guys program the drums in? What do you use? I have a pretty antiquated system. I use I tab the drums out in Guitar Pro. And then I drop okay. them in, and I use Superior Drummer, and I actually think Andrew does the same thing. Well, Superior Drummer is the standard, him. yeah. And then I'm wondering, because I think, I don't have Superior Drummer, but I've thought about getting it, because I've thought about creating a side project where I try to make metal, but just with synths. Like, what if I just ran yeah, synths, yeah, yeah. synths through, like, distortion? Oh, you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm wondering, and maybe we could trade, if you're going to hook me up with some vocals, I think you could just send me the MIDI of superior drummer and I could plug it into just Ableton has some similar like s drum sample libraries. I won't hear yeah. the exact same sample, but I'll be able to hear the programming and like the velocity and all that stuff. And I think I could like tweak it and send it back and you could put it right back into superior drummer. I think not hundred percent sure, but that might be possible. It'd be fun. All right, well, we'll, we'll talk about that, man. We'll talk about Maybe. that. Maybe. Listen, mate, it's, uh, it's getting towards midnight here. I, okay. I'm feeling myself starting to flag a little bit. So I You're might need to, fade. to uh, You're starting to fade. I am dude. starting to fade, bro. It's okay. I'm starting to fade. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk one more thing before we end. Go on. What is, maybe it is in Dark Souls, but what is the, your favorite gaming memory or your favorite moment you've ever experienced in video games for whatever reason? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, 
So it's, it, you know what? It's a weirdly personal question, isn't it? It is. It's normally, yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, uh, I almost end all podcasts with that question. I normally I start with your, what is your first video game? But we just started going off the rails. It's fine. It is a personal question. And it's, I can tell you, I can tell you what the most recent, you know, you know, occasionally, and maybe this, maybe this is slightly skewered by the fact that like, I've always been like an RPG guy and I particularly like playing RPGs and they offer a certain kind of experience, but where you occasionally get an experience with a video game that really stays with you. Like, again, this is what you're asking me, isn't it? You know, a profound memory of like, damn, that was really, it's like reading a really good book. It's like, that's really affected me, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. A couple of, one of my favorite games of all time is uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2. And a couple of years ago, I did a playthrough of that game. I hadn't played it for years. Did a playthrough of that game um, where obviously that game, as of its era, uh, had, had a very binary, like, light and dark morality system, right? But the storyline in, in Kator 2 is explicitly very grey, which is at odds with the mechanics, because you get the better mechanics by specialising into light or dark. But the actual writing is is far beyond that kind of moral binary and encourages you to engage in the space between. So I did a playthrough where I didn't pay any attention to my light and dark meters. I just took the decisions. I made like I made like a build that I knew would be good enough no matter which way I ended up swinging. And I made the decisions that I wanted to make every step of the way and really engage with it as an RPG. And like somehow I ended up staying staying grey right in the middle like sometimes I swang a little bit light a little bit dark but always came back into the middle and it allowed me to really engage with the themes in that game which are which are quite deep it's a very ambitious game and it, it misses the mark sometimes but I think it hits more often than it misses and I just had a really really satisfying RPG experience with playing that to the point where because it was so good in the intervening couple of years I've thought oh should I play it again and I'm like I can't play it again it's never going to be as good as it was a couple of years ago. like you know when you have like a peak playthrough of a game that's got a lot to offer and you're like, I don't even want to touch it now because it's, it's never going to get better than that, you know. That was the best I could get out of that game. And so I didn't have the most powerful character by the end, but I definitely had a very, very memorable role-playing game experience. So, yeah, I would say that. That's a very interesting way to replay a game, which I have done, and I think you bring up a good point in that when you play a lot of these games with, the mechanics tied to choices, oftentimes you may not make the choice you want to make because you're worried about having the most functional build or having yeah, the most damage yeah. or whatever. I haven't played Kortor 2, unfortunately, and I know I know it's legendary. I tried one multiple times. I've tried to go back and play it. I missed it when it came out. This and is I- the point we were making earlier, right? Yeah, and I just, if you missed it when it first came out, it's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I can't, but everyone tells me too is, Far superior and a better experience mechanically. I did replay the Mass Effect trilogy when it came out, re-released, the remastered. And same I did, here. Last year, I did the same thing, oh, bro. Yeah, I yeah. love that trilogy. I don't know how deep that system compares to Core Tour Two because I haven't played it. But I had already played through all the Mass Effects multiple times, and I did the same thing. I'm like, I know that I can. I know I can beat the game regardless of how far Paragon or Rebel I go, or whatever. And I'm not going to try to like look up. What choices keep so and so alive to get the best ending and all that shit? I'm just gonna play it and do what I think's 
I would do if so I, I did. That. I did. I did the same thing. I did the same thing when I replayed Mass Effect last year with the with the uh, the re-release. But I didn't finish three, so I didn't actually finish it. Mm. I finished one and two, and probably about a third of three. Uh, and I'd never oh, played so three close. before as well. You're so I know, close. I know. But it, I burnt out, bro. I burnt out. It was like by that point, I was already like what, like seventy hours deep or something. It took me nine. It took me ninety hours to do all three. And I just, I just yeah. burnt out, man. Like I just yeah. had enough. Of, it wasn't like a decision. It was just something that happened organically. I just stopped yeah. playing it. Yeah. But I did the same thing of like I wasn't trying to be Paragon or Renegade. I was trying to just choose what I wanted to choose at every step. And I actually ended up more Renegade than Paragon. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> I think I was, genu- slightly- I was. I was genuinely trying to pick what I thought was the best, the best thing to do in every situation. And like yes. a lot of the situations Mass Effect puts you in. They're like, they're military situations. So in military situations, you apply a certain kind of ruthless logic, which yes. I get that the game gives you the option to be a paragon. And so, you know, there's going to be a way through by doing this, like doing all these mawkishly virtuous things. But in reality, in a military situation, you really don't have the luxury of doing That's mawkishly virtuous things. Like, because, yeah, because you, you know, <laughs> you know, in a game designed like that, that they're going to, put in like a path for the paragon that works out but if you're being honest with yourself if you really were put in that situation and you didn't know that this was like a pre-made scenario it would be more logical to take the renegade option but when you're yeah. playing when you're playing a game you know that they've got to make a path for both and that kind of messes yeah with the exactly logic. Yeah. exactly but it's like for me a lot of the time good paths in rpgs that have that binary like it's, it's they're just selling you a dream man it's like I want something that connects to to real experience and like so rarely can you just like choose something that just perfectly works out so that it's the best for everybody like the choice always comes to mind for me with with context with the context of Mass Effect here is like the decision in Mass Effect 1 regarding the Rachni Queen and you're like get <laughs> I do get the logic behind the Paragon option being to let the Rachni Queen go and let it live but like if you were an actual military operator, on what fucking planet would you let that thing live? Like, obviously you would destroy it. Like, there's so many variables of bad things that can happen if you let it go. Yes. Why on earth would you do that? And I know within the cotton wool of the game, it ends up coming around to benefit you in Mass Effect 3. Yes. Yeah, but like, if I'm in that moment as Commander Shepard in Mass Effect 1, what, like, and what, and what planet am I going to let that thing live, really? Like, just well, take its word for it. Literally take its word for it and let it go. Well, also, and take its word for it and, and disregard the previous actions of the Rachni invasion, which, right. was, which was really bad. And I think to your point about knowing, like not, not thinking of mechanics, a lot of times when I think of situations like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, but is she going to give me like some super awesome weapon later if I let her live? Like that's what will right. go through my head. Yeah, And exactly. I'm not actually thinking about the situation. I'm also thinking about the game design and the mechanics. Uh, yeah. If, if you're not thinking about that, no, you don't let her live. Hell no. You ice her. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that I feel like that was a phase for RPGs as a genre, the like, light, dark morality systems. And they've kind of, that phase has been and gone. Like yes. even uh, another really, really good uh, RPG, Dragon Age Origins, the first Dragon Age game in like 2009, they completely did away with a good, bad morality system. And they built really complex, interesting moral dilemmas into that game. And there was no mechanical benefit beyond like, obviously, oh, I do this, I'm going to get more money. There was no mechanical benefit to being good or evil. Yes. 
that was a great game. That was really good as an RPG, that game. And I feel like since then, RPGs haven't necessarily followed. I mean, what it was like Fable, Knights of the Old Republic, and then Mass Effect. Those were like the big ones that did that. Yes. It seems cool on the surface, but really it's like it's limited. Like even in, uh, you know, the original alignment system concept is from Dungeons and Dragons. Well, even in current Dungeons and Dragons now, they're phasing out alignment as a concept. Like it's more restraining than it is. It restrains you more than it facilitates role play, really. Yeah, it's much I- more interesting to play your character, choose what you want, and then almost after the fact assess well, what kind of what kind of person am I here? Like, how am I actually behaving? Like, other things I'm doing, good or bad. I like Witcher Three. I don't know if you played that. Did good. I didn't in- play very much of it. I didn't really get on with The Witcher Three. The combat is sort of hit and miss with lots of people. Whether you like the con- combat system or not is going to be a big deal. But when it comes to moral dilemmas, the game is one of the best at creating. I know it is. I know oh, it is. Yeah. That's why I wanted to play it. But I just. I tell you what it is, I can tell The Witcher 3 is a great game and completely deserves all the accolades it's got. And it it does have that really great storytelling element. It also has this unmistakable feeling of what a lot of modern games have that I don't like, which is it it still has that feeling of like a a Ubisoft open world game or like an MMO. Yeah, it does that for sure. And that's, that's like when I was saying earlier about kind of like my disagreement with modern games, that's a big part of what it is. It's just Mm. that vibe. That vibe, like I like a I like a handcrafted, tightly knit RPG. That's, that's why you can't, dude. You cannot touch Elden Ring until you're ready. I'm telling you, dude, it's gonna end your life. I from talking to you more, Elden Ring is the next level at handcrafted open world design. They, yeah, this is what I'm hearing, man. This is it, what I'm they, hearing. And- they took the bar and put it in a rocket launcher, gave everyone else the fucking middle finger, and said. This is the new standard when it comes to open world map design and like being custom and not that Ubisoft build. That slice of game design, they just, they knocked it. They're they're the best. It's the new standard. It is the new standard. Yeah, this is what I'm hearing, man. Yeah, you're uh, hearing correctly. But I did want to, maybe the one thing you could pull from Witcher 3, you don't have to play it to experience it, but it's something that I think future game designers should do about dealing with the binary system and dealing with moral grays is instead of having your choices tied to anything mechanical or like even the narration, the, narr- the end, this end of the story is going to be the same. The, the equipment, your spells, all that shit is untied to your choices, but your choices do affect the state of the world. Meaning. Yeah, that's nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's like, if you like, for example, there's a, there's a moral dilemma where you find similar to the Rachni queen, you find this demon that's been like encased underground in in like this ritual and you can let the demon go or not and like everything in the witcher both situations have really both choices have really bad outcomes you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't like i let i let the demon out and it went and murdered an entire town and for the rest of that game that town no longer had people in it it's a ghost town yeah, so this is the this is like the Dragon Age Origins approach, right? Yeah. It's like let let the consequences of the actions speak for themselves. Okay, yeah. I haven't played Origins. I've only played Inquisition. Uh I don't like Inquisition. <laughs> Again, Inquisition same problem. Okay. Same problem I had with The Witcher. Yeah, yeah, I mean Origins is as an RPG, Origins is the best. I would also say as a tactical turn-based combat game, Origins is the best. 
for me, the weakest point of Dragon Age, and particularly this is particularly pronounced in Origins, is aesthetically. It's got a quite a weak aesthetic. Like everything looks quite ugly, and it doesn't really have a distinctive. This is the thing that always annoyed me with Dragon Age was that, like you know, with Origins, it's so well written, but in terms of presentation, aesthetically, it's very, very generic and very bland. So that's that's actually my main criticism of someone that cares about aesthetics. My main criticism of Dragon Age Origins is that. Other than that, it's far superior to Dragon Age 2. It's far superior to Inquisition. I've played both. I should try it. I should try it. Again, yeah. though, it's old now, you know. <laughs> but I, I definitely like games that are older than that. Well, dude, I, I know, I know oh, you're yeah, fading, you and we've got to let you go. One more time, plug the band. The single when it's coming out. It'll be out by the time this comes out. The future of the album. Um, plug your other bands. and just where people can find you and check your shit out. Hell yeah. All right, I'll do that. So, uh, Mensis Ritual, new single, uh, God Cursed, will presumably be out when this is out. Um, go and check that out. Go and check out the old EP, Lordship. If you like black metal, check out my black metal band, Archaeophant. That's a project I do with some very, very talented metal musicians. And also, I've got a solo project, which is just called Wormlord. Uh, there's an EP out for that called Aeons of Darkness, and there is a new EP in the works there. In fact, there's new music in the works for all those projects. In terms of finding me online, man, I don't really do social media to be honest. Like, you can see from my TikTok, right, that I don't really fuck with it. Like, I haven't put a lot of effort in or, or really gone on there much. In my other bands, other people kind of do the social media side of things. Maybe I'll get a little bit better, but I'm not making any promises. I'm focused on <laughs> creating the art itself. It's healthy, That's what I probably- care about. Yeah, it's healthier not to do it. This is a problem that I have, man, genuinely, is like I see friends I've got who are like, their egos are like get really attached to like, let's say the Spotify numbers or whatever. And I can get that. I get the pull of that. And maybe there's something good about that that actually makes you go out and and promote your work. Because you should promote your work after you've worked hard on it. But for me, it's like I create what I create for myself. And once I see it realized, once I see my creative idea like fully realized, I'm already like in a post nut state. Like I'm not motivated <laughs> to do anything at that point. Like I've already got what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to actually be disciplined enough to promote your work properly. And I should do that better. But plugs wise, if people want to just go and listen to my projects and keep an eye on them, that's more than enough for me. What's the That's logo great. on your shirt? I, I need to know. What's that logo? Oh, this is uh, Humanity's Last Breath. Very, very sick band. Humanity. One of my favorites I from the modern era. I love that symbol. I was like, that looks so cool. Yeah, check out, if I was going to recommend a couple of records real quick, like that I just yes, fucking love. Yes, do that love. for everyone. Yes. Just to pull, a, just to pull yeah. a couple off the top of my head, like two of my favorites from the last few years. Yeah, the latest album from Humanity's Last Breath, Vald is fucking incredible. Uh, and the latest album from Black Tongue, Nadir, Black is Hunt? also Black Tongue. Black They're from Tongue. the UK. They're from a city called Hull in the north of England. And it's actually, uh, if you know the, the band, because they're almost bigger, I think, the side project of two of the members of Black Tongue is Infant Annihilator. Say that second one again. Uh, have you heard of a band called Infant Annihilator? No. Okay. It's like a big, ext- like very extreme metal band. That is the side project of two of the guys who are in Black Tongue. Black Tongue's their touring band. Their last album, The Deer, which came out in 2018, I think, is fucking incredible. What was the Violator, something Violator for the... the Infant Annihilator. 
infant annihilate that is what you're, you're wondering is that what it's called and i'm telling yeah. you that yes that is what it's called yeah and you don't want to look at the lyrics they're fucking foul but i'm not necessarily recommending infant annihilator i'm recommending black you're Tongue. just saying I'm recommending that they're really humanity's big last breath. project yeah yeah, yeah in yeah, a way yeah. they're, they're kind of more well known than black tongue are They've made actually they've actually made good money off of this as a side project, as far as I understand, Infant and I later. That's Dickie Allen's band, who's a very famous deathcore vocalist. He's like one of the most renowned deathcore vocalists of the current time. It's this guy called Dickie Allen, who's fucking incredible. Yeah. A couple of a couple of little recommendations for you there. Sweet. Now we're gonna we're gonna end on Infant Annihilator. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, all right, dude. 